Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. This could be the start of like a rom-com if I wasn't gay and married and married. You make the decision whether you keep running after LA. You make the decision whether you keep running after every single race. And so you don't want the races to become a deterrent because it's this thing that you're training for and then you're failing because you're upholding yourself to a standard or you you have this like hard result in mind. And there's so much that's out of your, your control. You just want to go out there and, and run your best on the day. Hey, this is Alex and this is the Afternoon Snack Podcast. Today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about my marathon prep and mindset. We'll talk about handling difficult situations, expectations, and a little bit more about goal setting because, as you know, that's one of our favorite topics. We've already talked about fueling and carb loading and training, so today will be a little bit different and it's going to be more about how I adjusted my goals to take the pressure off a little bit and enjoy training a little bit more. But first, we're going to be telling the story of our most recent travel odyssey to North Carolina and then back home. We think this is a great episode. We think every episode is a great episode, but actually this is a great episode. We hope you laugh and learn a few things along the way. If you are listening to this on Wednesday, March 15th, I think if, if they're listening to it on any, if they can hear your voice on this podcast at any period of time, can you let me finish my sentence? If you are listening to this podcast on Wednesday, February 15th, we are about to leave for LA because I am running the marathon. Oh, now I get it. Thank you. I'm so sorry. These podcasts are previously recorded. But I want to say, since we'll be discussing our recent travel, today on March 15th, not today, today, but your today. Okay, fine. Just tell them what today is. <laughs> Today's March 1st. Today's March 1st. There are cats out of the bag. But if, you, if you're listening to this advance. on March 15th, you will know that on this day, March 15th, that we are very nervous to travel. And we're going to tell you why. We need all the like good travel vibes that you can get. I can't even count the number of travel snafus that we had on our most recent trip back to North Carolina. It was one thing after another. Really, like the first night should have been like, oh, that's all this is going to be. When we were in Target at 10 p.m. Yeah, so we... Trying to figure out which toothbrush to buy. And what size Target panties we wear <laughs> so that we have something to sleep in. Shout out to Target panties. They're actually great and yeah. I'm keeping them and probably going to buy more. Me too. Very we needed new panties. We did. It was time. And like we're talking like the full ass panties. Okay, we I sleep in them. We don't wear them under pants. Know how people sleep naked, which we will talk about <laughs> later in the podcast <laughs> as the, the trip digressed. So yeah, it was like top priority panties, toothbrush, and then fun Target t-shirt. But essentially... We flew from Calgary to Raleigh-Durham, connected through Toronto. And if you've ever flown through Toronto to a U.S. location, you know you have to do this crazy thing. You have to like basically go all the length of the terminal and then turn around and come back. Like it's a crazy long traverse to get to U.S. customs. And so the flight coming out of Calgary was delayed, like taking off because it we had gotten so much snow that day, which I guess that's actually where it started. We 
like looked out the window when we were going to leave and I was like, oh, we got snow overnight. I, and then you were like, do you think we should shovel the driveway? This is after having a very like luxurious, relaxing morning. We got up really early to work out. We were having our lattes. Yeah. We're and like, this is the way to travel. This is the way to travel. We were like, we're going to get there early so we can take advantage of the lounge access. Alex is like, I'm just going to go get started shoveling the driveway. I think it'll take five minutes. And so I'm like, I don't know where Alex is. So I open the garage door and there is, I'm not even kidding, over a foot of snow on the ground. It was a significant amount. And so I'm like, oh my God. And so we have to, like, I get the other shovel out, the car, we left the Audi outside because we were going to drive it. And the, both trucks are in the garage right now. And it's covered in snow. It was a whole thing. So like just getting to the airport was crazy. And then the flight was delayed taking off. And I think the connection in Toronto- I just want to stop you right there. I want to clarify to our listeners, we're not actually that rich. No. We have lounge access because we have a specific credit card that Meredith just upgraded us to. If you ever do get a new credit card, make sure that you like do your research because there are a lot of really cool benefits to some Oh, 100%. And then our Audi is is older. So it's not like, you know, we have this really nice car. It's a 2017. (laughs) Like, let's be, let's be real. And we got it on a Halloween sale with no GST. It was a good deal. Yeah. Back to what you were saying. Thanks. So the flight leaving Calgary was delayed. The connection was already tied in Toronto and just kept getting tighter and tighter and tighter. And so we landed with, I think, maybe 45 minutes, which is like barely enough. And then the jetway crew wasn't, like the ground crew wasn't there. So we sit on the tarmac and I think we had like 30 minutes. And all I remember, like I, I kept seeing these like big groups and I would just kind of like run around them, like a family or something. Like, no, absolutely not. Am I standing behind that group? And customs. And then we get through customs and I'm like, I felt the urge to run. Well, the problem is, is you have your boarding time and then you have the departure time, but there's a gray area in between. Yeah. It's like, when do you actually start boarding? When do you actually depart? When do they close the gate? That's what I need to know. Well, when is the gate closing? But I don't think that they know. No one knows. And why that you would want to advertise that because then it would be like the gates are closing. Okay. The gates are closing in five minutes. Like it becomes another time point that just gets like pushed back. Would be nice to know whether we actually needed to run or not. So I'm running and apparently Alex is thinking to herself, this is ridiculous. We don't need to be running. She's being extra. those people. And I'm like, my backpack's bouncing up and down on my back. I look like a goober. (laughs) I'm so embarrassed. She's so embarrassing. And I was in the lead, by the way. We run up to the gate and I'm First time ever. probably like 15 feet away from the gate agent. And she's like, root. She points at us. And I was like, that's me. And she was like, I just deboarded you. Like I, I took you off the plane. I thought you missed it. So she's like, but I'll put you back on. And I, I was open. like, as my logical self was like, hang on a minute. If we were never on the plane, how did you deboard us? Okay. Never mind. <laughs> So she's basically like puts us back on the plane. And and then she was like, you are hilarious. Because of that, get your ass on the plane. I'm going to reboard you. I just have a totally different recollection (laughs) of this period of time. Anyways, you were breathing so heavy. From my running. Yeah. And you had lost blood flow to your brain for a minute there because you're not in as good shape as I am. So in order to beat me to the gate, you had to really exert yourself. You don't, it's fine. You just, you don't remember any of it, but that's okay. Now you know. Okay, thanks. So I guess she puts us back on the plane. She's basically like, sit wherever. You can sit together. I don't care. Because I, I think that she had issued us new tickets that weren't together. But she was like, there's room to sit wherever. She's like, your bags? I don't know. You're just going to have to figure that out when you get there. And so 
the flight was fine. We land in Raleigh and basically immediately get a text from Air Canada that's like, your bags didn't make the connection, which I don't know if they didn't make the connection or if they were taken off the plane, but it's irrelevant. We didn't have our bags when we landed in Raleigh. And so we that is what took us then to Target. It's like 930 and I had to buy everything that we needed. Thank goodness for my level of planning and foresight and concern for potential snafus. I had an important 30 kilometer run the following day for my training. Yeah. And I had thought to myself, if my bag doesn't make it, I should probably prepare to be able to do the run just in case. So I packed everything I needed except for my fueling stuff. So I had my running shoes, the socks, my watch and all my entire outfit. Thank goodness. Yeah. So you do the run. It goes fine. The next day, our bags are supposed to show up at like 345. And we have a concert to go to. We have dinner reservations in Durham at 545 before a concert at Deepak. And we're staying in Raleigh, downtown Raleigh. So there's a difference of about 45 minutes from downtown Raleigh to downtown Durham and traffic that time of day. But it was going to be tight, but we were going to be able to make it. Like, get our bags, go back to the hotel in downtown Raleigh and then make it to downtown Durham. And then we got the notification that the bags were delayed because the flight was delayed. So you're at the airport trying to get the bags and it's just taking forever, taking forever. And I'm like looking at the clock and I was like, we do not have time to go back to Raleigh anymore. Like it, we could basically drive there and then turn around and drive back. Like we don't have time to shower. We hadn't showered in two days, basically. (laughs) Yeah. And I had just ran 30 kilometers. And so... Alex gets I had in the car. Salt crystals on my face, <laughs> and I was wearing a large, purchased at Target Jeep shirt. It said Jeep. That's a huge letters Jeep, and I had on like really loose. Oh no, you had bought me new new shorts. I did. I did do that. fancy ones. So yeah. I had that. But yeah, I was not in a place to like be going to a concert. Alex gets in the car and is like, you know what? It's fine. I can probably just take a bird bath at the <laughs> restaurant. I'll just go into the bathroom and like use the sink. And I was like, you idiot. We'll just go to the YMCA. Like I already looked it up. I don't know that there's a YMCA nearby. And this is not a restaurant where you go use the sink in the bathroom to wash your pits. Like when it's not a McDonald's. <laughs> I should have asked for one of those like the like baby wipes. From who? Probably the bottom of your gym bag, to be honest. <laughs> There's a lot of shit in that bag. Yeah. So we ended up at a YMCA, took a shower there. It was 20 bucks each. But yeah. thankfully, the woman only charged us for one person because I was like, we're only showering. And then she probably looked us up and down and was like, I think they're homeless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would have paid $20 each to shower at that point. It was pretty disgusting. It what was I was planning on doing is having you go in, pay $20, and then come out showered and then say bye. And then we would quickly change clothes. So I would wear the clothes that you came out of the shower in. I would wear those, put on a blonde, curly-haired wig, and walk in and say, oops, I forgot something. And then I would shower and then come back out so that we would save money. And that's how we can afford an Audi, people. <laughs> Wigs. It's all about the wigs. So there's your nugget for the day. Buy a wig that looks like your spouse. Probably won't work as well if you're in a heterosexual couple, but you can try it. (laughs) Or just get the same haircut. I'm working on Meredith. Okay. Yeah. After that, though, the trip was great. The concert was really good. We saw Brandy. I almost cried during the concert. It was amazing. It was really good. We spent most of the time in Raleigh and it's just like a great place for us. It's where we fell in love. It is. It is where we fell in love. That's not where we said I love you to each other for the first time. 
We were withholding that information from each other for at least a few months, I, I believe. You never want to be the first one, right? No, and you don't want to be awkward and say it too early. Yeah. Because that's like, oh, thank you. So our flight back to Calgary was Sunday morning. It was early, like 7 a.m. So we had to get up at 3.55. We actually didn't need to be up that early, but it's Alex. So we got up at 3.55 and got to the airport, checked in. It was like already looking like the flight was going to be delayed, I think, what was it? Oh, right. The toilet had blown up and like backfilled into the cabin. And so they had to have the maintenance crew come and like clean up all the, like just the blue. The- what did you think? You had misheard what they said on the intercom. I thought that it was just like a juice spill. I was like, that's some nasty juice. But yeah, it actually some turns out it spilled their orange juice. We're going to have to delay the flight an hour. And then the pilot's going to have to come and check to make sure it's all good before we start boarding. It was nasty Because of one juice. It was nasty juice, turns out. There's toilet juice all over. At one point, Meredith turns to me, she's like, all this for juice? (laughs) Yeah, butt juice. (laughs) And I don't know if you saw it, but it was like, I saw it when we got on the plane. It was like all up in first class. And I was Was like, oh, yucky. It was the front toilet that blew up. That's unfortunate. That is unfortunate for you guys. Side note, toilet flushes on airplanes are extremely loud. I have to cover my ears. Oh, do you? I press the button and then cover my ears. That's, I didn't know that about you. I do it every time because it's so loud. It's startling. It gives me anxiety. <laughs> you should just do it and get used to it. No. Oh, okay. I don't fly enough to adjust to that sound. Yeah. So we had already, I think, been bumped onto a later flight out of Toronto to Calgary because we weren't going to make the connection which was like fine. We weren't really bothered by that. And so we get on the plane, we leave the gate and I guess there was a check engine light. And so then we have to, they like tried to fix it on the tarmac and then we ended up having to go back to the gate. Mechanics came out, they tried to fix the engine and ultimately couldn't. So we were like deboarded. And then at that point, Air Canada basically were like, we are going to send everyone new itineraries. We're going to try to get you on Air Canada flights, but we might have to put you on other carriers, United, American, etc., Delta. We got a notification that we had been bumped onto a United flight that was flying, still flying to Toronto, but connecting through Washington, Dulles. And I was like, oh, that's kind of annoying. And I'm looking at it. And then I'm looking at the flight from Toronto to Calgary. And I was like, well, hang on a second. That says the 28th of February. That's Tuesday. And this, remember, this is Sunday. And yeah. so I'm like looking that's, at it. The best thing is for me, I'm just like, behind you looking at the itinerary not really knowing and then you do you're like oh we're connecting (laughs) and I was like oh man and then you were like hold up Tuesday I'm like that can't be right and then you take your little mouse like on your keypad and I can see the little like arrow and you're like it's not wrong and you start circling (laughs) it says like little you know when you you see a flight itinerary where you see that number of hours for the layover. It's like two, two H. Yeah. It usually says something like that. Yeah. Two, 14 H. So it's like two hours and 14 minutes. This one said 39 H, two days. So I immediately start looking for flights out of Toronto to Calgary on any carrier, WestJet, Air Canada, Flair. I was willing to do Flair at that point. And <laughs> no nothing. seats on Flair. There was nothing. You stand. That's <laughs> like a bus. There's nothing. Like the earliest flight was Tuesday. So I was like, okay. And so then it kind of immediately became like what? And then immediately Meredith types into Google, nicest hotel in Toronto airport. (laughs) There's only one. So 
No, but I, I think part of me knew, and I've heard enough about Toronto right now, that the line for voucher to get a hotel room was just going to be outrageous. And so I started looking into what kind of card insurance do we have? Like, what can I get reimbursed? How does it work? So I basically confirmed like that we had coverage and then just immediately booked the Sheraton for convenience. Like it's attached to the airport. If In the morning, if someone told me you were going to later in this day be sitting in the Turkish Airways lounge in Washington Dulles Airport, I'd have been like, no, no, that's how my day is going to go. We had been up since 3.55, which is pretty early for us. I don't get up much earlier than 5.45 ever. We had gotten back to the hotel late because we were spending the day with your family. So we got like five hours of sleep. And then we ended up spending almost 12 hours in the Raleigh airport waiting for the flight out. Yeah. So that was a long day. Just and then being we spent in the like airport. two hours in Washington, Dulles. Then we make it to Toronto, get through customs, go to baggage claim. And it looked like a war zone. It was Well, nuts. you know why? Because there were, it was a plane from Warsaw. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a joke. The amount of baggage that that plane had on it was unbelievable. Yeah, from Poland. Like boxes. Like I was like, why is everything saran wrapped? Yeah. And I guess when you make that long of a trip, yeah, like you want to protect your bags as yeah. much as you can. And then fortunately, like our baggage carousel like wasn't going, like wasn't working. And they're like, oh, it's on carousel 12. I'm like, that's the one with the Warsaw bag. So it was crazy. It was nuts. So we stand there for a while waiting for bags to come out. They're not coming. And Eventually, I'm like, hey, it's it's been like an hour. I'm going to go check with Air Canada. So I like explained the situation to them. And the guy was so uninterested in helping me. It was actually ridiculous. Didn't even look at my bag tags. And he, so I was explaining the situation. He's like, oh, you flew in United? You need to go talk to United. And I'm like, well, no, but they have Air Canada numbers. They didn't re-tag the bags because they never went back out of the airport. And he just like, what? he was like, just go talk to United. And I'm like, okay. At this point, my ankles had completely disappeared. <laughs> Same. So I'm walking my calf my, so, to my foot. It was just, it looked like a sausage. Well, you're lucky you, because my <laughs> hip to my foot looked like a sausage. <laughs> you had no knees. <laughs> my knees had fused. Like there was so much pressure in my lower leg. It was uncomfortable. I was like, I have to sit down and put my legs up here. I took like, my watch was embedding itself into my wrist. Okay. I was so bloated and so uncomfortable. My eyes were red. Like, this is what happens when you eat only airport <laughs> food and lounge food for 24 hours yeah. and then fly <laughs> and don't drink any water. Don't do that. So I get to United and explain it to her. And she's like, well, no, this is these are Air Canada tags. And I'm like, oh, my God, I just need you to look them up. I need you to try your best to look them up. And then somehow she manages to find them. She's like, oh, they're still in Washington, Dulles. They didn't make the flight to Toronto. You'll have to file a claim when you get to your destination. And I was like, my destination is Calgary in two days. Like, I need the bags. Go find you, tell you that, that we have no bags and we can't file a claim until we're in Calgary, like back home. And it, you looked at me like someone had shot Ivy. <laughs> it was, it was really disappointing. Yeah. I don't like being inconvenienced. And I know that sounds bratty, but it's just like, it's something I just deal with. I don't like returning things. I don't ha like having to look for things. I don't like having to take my time to like do extra stuff, like file a claim and go back. And in Calgary, I've had this happen before where if your bag doesn't end up in Calgary, Calgary airport's 40 minutes away from where we live. Then you have to basically go home without your bag, figure out, like go back to the airport once they even have it, if they find it. It's a whole situation. So that was upsetting. And then not having your bag in 
Toronto when we're there for two days is also really disappointing. I also want to just go back and say the first night we didn't have our bags in Raleigh, Meredith and I are both very particular about our pillows. And unfortunately for us, the pillows were in our duffel. And the only pillows they had in the Raleigh hotel that we were staying in were so aggressively stuffed that it was like, uh, how how would you describe? It was just impossible to sleep on your stomach. Like Meredith wanted to cut open the pillow. De-stuff and it. And de-stuff it. That's how stuffed it was. Something pointy. We didn't have anything pointy. No. <laughs> and so we both opted to use t-shirts as pillows. Not good. Not That doesn't work as well as you think it might. And so then I just gave up on a pillow or t-shirt altogether. So anyways, did all the like called United, called Air Canada, filed claims, whatever. And so now we're back in that situation where we have no panties. <laughs> Not even the Target ones. No. Um, we do have our pillows, though. We had the pillows, and you had my sheep. So we, like, take a shower, and we're, like, looking around. For some reason, in my puffer jacket, like, the inside pocket, <laughs> there was a spare thong. I don't know why that was in there, but I was like, I guess I'm sleeping in that. It was not the best night of sleep. I had a, the T-shirt I was wearing and no underwear. Yeah. So, like, we did our best. At least, yeah. So the next day, we were just going to try to, like, get our hands on some clothes to wear for the day or at least sleep in continue to wear the clothes that we had worn for two days and be disgusting and i wake up and there's a dm request in my instagram which i check religiously first thing in the morning really shouldn't do that but i'm glad i did there's a dm request and it's from this guy and it says like hey meredith i'm so sorry but i accidentally grabbed your bag from the toronto pearson airport last night I was like, I don't know if this is someone and the guy hit a private account. So I'm like, I don't know if you're like trying to fuck with me because like I had posted a bunch about traveling. So I said, is this for real? And then he sent a picture of my bag with like the bag tag and he had opened it and it was my bag. And I was like, this is a lot to take in before coffee. (laughs) I think you were on your phone and you're just like, "Ah, ah, ah, yeah. And I was like, like, what's going on? So I, I was basically like, if you can bring it back. That would be, and he was like, I have to come to the airport to try to find mine. So I'll just bring yours. Where are you staying? And conveniently I'm, we're staying in the airport. And so he's like, Hey, I'll just, I'll bring it by later. It'll be like 8 PM, which was like kind of unfortunate, but that's okay. Immediately it sparked hope that your bag was there. So we sort of pack up everything on Monday morning, not pack up. We get our shit together and go back to the airport and you were escorted in to the international baggage claim. And lo and behold, there it was. So your bag... It was so exciting. I had in my head after all of this stuff, convinced myself nothing was going to go right and my bag wasn't going to be there. And so when it was, it was extremely exciting. Also knowing that I could now run on the treadmill that day because I had my stuff. I wasn't as smart as I was on the way out as (laughs) I was on the way in. It was good because I knew that even though you hate sharing your clothes with me, you would in this situation probably share your clothes with me. You're like, can I borrow a bra? I'm like, which bra here do I have that I I saw you. I saw you do that. And I was like, savage. That is really unkind. But we got through the day. And And then then you're like, can I borrow a pair of underwear? And I was like, yeah, sure. Just go grab them. They're in that little pocket there. And I was like, not those. No, not those either. Yeah, not those. <laughs> yeah, those. <laughs> the oldest ones you have. Disgusting. I think there's a pair that I don't really like in the dirty laundry bag. You can have those. What <laughs> if you just like used your thong again? Have you just slept in that bad boy? It's um, a thing that I have for my sister stealing my clothes when I was younger. Yeah, I feel that. That day went okay. And then we get to dinner. So we were having dinner in the hotel with our friend Prevo who came by. Very nice of her. 
And I get a text from the guy. He said I was on my way. And then he's like, hey, I'm in the hotel lobby by check-in. And the restaurant's just adjacent. So I said, okay, I'll be out in a second. And I walk out there and I see the I see him standing with my bag. I walk up and I don't have any hair product in. Like, you know, I had showered, but I don't have any makeup. I usually wear like a little bit of makeup to try to look presentable. And I walk up and like, I'm not... You're usually like a six, but that night you were like a four. Thanks. Just painting the picture. Yeah. I walk up and... I am not into men, but this was a human being that was so good looking. He was actually hard to look at. And I was like, of course, of course it's you. <laughs> he like shook my hand and was like, I'm so sorry. And I was like, I'm so sorry that I look like this. <laughs> I usually look a little bit better than this. And these aren't even my clothes. <laughs> these aren't the clothes that I've been wearing for two days. I just do need you to know that these aren't dirty clothes. But yeah, super, super good looking. And it felt almost so comical that I was like, this could be the start of like a rom-com if I wasn't gay and married and married. Yeah. That would be like, you know, how two people meet. Oh, here's your bag. And then they would just like maybe keep running into each other and, you know, yeah, or keep texting or different. DMing. No, 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 no. That's not how rom-coms work. Oh, okay. You'd have to, it'd have to be like coincidence. Right. Over and over again, you know, or maybe maybe I am gay and maybe I'm in the rom-com and I come to terms with the complexity of sexual identity and labels and fall in love with a man. <laughs> OK, where does that leave me? I don't know. It's just a, a thought for a plot that I did have a me. crush on our waiter at the restaurant before the concert. He was extremely good looking. He had a mustache. I didn't know you were a mustache person. It works on some men. I think it works on like taller, darker. Mm -hmm. You in as soon as you you touch the mustache, it's done. Tall, dark and handsome. And don't touch it. Yeah. And Never. also if you're a girl that's gay, also don't touch it. And I think that's why it's okay for me. <laughs> who can touch the mustache? I don't know. I maybe there's a girl who's straight and into that. Yeah. Then you would be able to. Okay. Okay. With your upper lip. Oh, not fingers. <laughs> not fingers. Never fingies. No. All right. That's good to know. Mustache rules. <laughs> Anyways, got my bag back and we Let me tell this part of the story. Okay. So we go upstairs after dinner, Meredith bag checks or whatever you call it. And we go upstairs with her bag after dinner and she opens it. And she was like, God damn it. The Target panties are right on top. That was the most embarrassing part. Like I had, I had done such a like haphazard packing job that I'm just like, oh my God. I'm like, I'm so embarrassed that he was this probably is like, how my bag what is packed. child needs this much clothing? And owns a North Face rolling duffel. <laughs> This doesn't match. Yeah, the whole thing was a little bit embarrassing, but I'm sure he was also embarrassed that he opened someone's luggage and they were Target panties sitting right on top. I'm not sure what would have made that <laughs> At worse. At least he like, didn't take a picture of the inside of the bag. Like, hey, are these your panties? No, he did. Like, the <laughs> bag was open. He, like, opened it to show me that it was my stuff. Like, I think maybe if it had been, if there was, like, some Vagisil in there, it would have been worse. Like, that would have been worse. At least it wasn't my bag. It was just, like, a Ziploc of tampons. <laughs> What is this woman going to space? <laughs> Who needs that many tampons? Anyways, yeah, it was a whole thing. But then we got... <laughs> it's, so, it's so funny. It's so funny. The next day, we, we flew out successfully to Calgary. The only downside of like being bumped onto flights is you don't get to pick your seat. So we were like in like a three by four by three. And we were in the two middle and the four, like the middle row. That was not... I'm not, a, I'm not a big person. And those are toit. Yeah, those are they not are tight, good. especially in the middle. So, anyways, I think if for LA, if we just like basically don't repeat any of that, 
that would be good. It was pretty traumatizing though. And I, I'm like, part of me is like, do I even want to check a bag? But it's kind of hard to pack all my stuff in that little bag. And also one time the little bag was too big. Yeah. And then and you so have I had to, to like, check, check it anyways. anyways. But I'm like, you could just FedEx your stuff down there. Like FedEx is on time. How do I book a passenger flight with FedEx? That's what I want to know. They seem to be able to get places on time. I feel like Calgary to LA, there's less likelihood of an issue. And it's direct for now. And we gave ourselves a two-day buffer, so hopefully that's enough. So we just talked for a while there on travel. So maybe this is a bit of a travel podcast now. Yeah. But we will talk about your running in LA. We've done we some talk running about episodes. my running all the time. I know. So why not tell some stories that are kind of like, I think they're funny. The whole thing was just so ridiculous. And really like cherry on top how good looking that guy was. Holy moly. Wow. I'm just proud of myself that I like stayed calm throughout. There was one moment I almost cried. That was when my bag, we, I thought my bag didn't make it and we were going to have to do a claim two days later. But I almost cried when my, for some reason, priority security access didn't work. That was upsetting. But that's just a bratty thing. So for my running, I'm running the LA Marathon March 18th. Three days from when this podcast comes out. Yes. But right now I'm up about two and a half weeks out. So I thought today would be fun rather than talk about the details because I've talked about fueling and all that before on previous podcasts. I thought today would be fun to talk about expectation, goal setting, internal pressure, external pressure, and just like, I guess, adjusting your expectations, training and leading up and having a better outlook on race prep or any sort of event prep. For sure. So this has been a bit of a different, even comparing it to Boston, which was a, a similar time of year, a month later, it's been kind of a different prep period for you, just different life situation and more things going on. So how has it been, I guess, distinctly different and what are some of the challenges that have come up? So I think from like a logistical standpoint, life standpoint, work is, because the business is growing, I think work is progressively a bit more demanding. And then with Fernie, we want to ski as much as we can. And we skied more this year than we ever have. Yep. And that's important to both of us. And so we want to be in Fernie to be able to do that and make the most of it. Like we have seasons passes and stuff. But the running in Fernie is not very good. They don't really plow. Like they plow the main streets, but the sidewalks and stuff aren't really, it's all, there's always snow and ice. And there's not really any like straight shots anywhere. Like you're kind of just running around through neighborhoods, down main roads and things like that. I have run on the highway before and it's pretty sketchy. Mm -hmm. It's like the, the running isn't great. I can't really do any important like extra long runs or race pace runs there. So it kind of, I have to like time, I have to move around my like important runs. It's been difficult. Managing is like the physical amount of exercise that I'm doing. So running in the morning for like two hours and then skiing and then trying to do a workout, that became a lot for me. So I had to take a couple of workouts off my schedule to back off and allow for a little bit more flexibility there. I think having a little bit more of an idea of what my capabilities are has made the training and the progression towards the race a little bit more difficult from a mental standpoint. So when I did Chicago, I didn't really know what I was capable of. I kind of set like a 330, sub 330. I mean, we've talked all about that, but I ended up running a little bit faster than expected and didn't really have an actual goal time. In Boston, it was the same thing. Like I, I knew I could run faster than I did in Chicago, but I just didn't really know. And so leading up, I had done two pretty important race prep runs. It was four or five weeks out. I did 25K at race pace, projected race pace, which like I didn't know. So I basically started out fast and tried to hang on. And then two weeks later, I did 32K at race pace. And that was good for me because it was like 
can I hold this pace for an extra 10K? Like how did that 32K feel? And that was a really important run for me. So I'm like, I have confidence I can do this in the race. In hindsight, I think that may have been a little bit too much to be doing so close to the race, but it's okay. I, I think it was good for me mentally to have that. This time around, I did not want to do a 32K at race pace. It's yeah. like I'd run a half marathon in sub 90 in September. So I kind of knew that I could probably end up around three hours in the marathon. For the like American listeners out there, a marathon is 42K. So 26 miles, 42K. So 32K would be around 20 miles. Yeah, which I think most people work up to in, in prep, but maybe not at race pace. Yeah. My race pace and my like easy, moderate, comfortable running pace are very different. It's about 20% slower for my easy pace. From a goal setting standpoint, this was the first marathon where I kind of had an idea of what I could set as an actual time goal based on my half marathon, which I felt pretty good during. Like there were parts of it that were difficult. Like it was hilly. It was a difficult course. I ran it in like three, 128-ish, a bit of a buffer. And I thought, okay, if I have October, November, January, February, most of March to train, potentially I could shoot for around three hours. Yep. Which is kind of a good goal for me eventually. And I thought, well, why not go for it? But as the training progressed, as I got closer to the marathon, I started feeling a lot of pressure. Mm -hmm. And I started feeling anxious about getting optimal training, which was basically impossible in winter. You just can't. Like I, even running indoors, you're on a little track. You have to figure out your schedule. It's not going to work. Running on a treadmill sucks. Again, you're working around gym timing. I did a run, a 15K run on an air runner. And it's just like, it's not optimal. And then when you're running outside, a lot of the times you're running in in the snow. Fueling in the winter is really difficult. Because you have like gloves to manage and... Yeah, and it's cold. Like I just, I'm not interested in drinking a bunch of Gatorade Mm -hmm. and taking a frozen gel. So I'm... I didn't do a great job practicing fueling and that doesn't make for the best long run sometimes. But I basically, I was becoming so stressed about this time goal that I had arbitrarily set, not necessarily fully arbitrarily, but it was almost taking away from the enjoyment of the training, which is why I do all this in the first place. And so I basically just said, there's no time goal or like maybe it's, I'm going to do better than I did in Boston. As soon as I just kind of let that go, training became a lot more fun. And it's not, it didn't impact my effort in training at, at all. Like I still had my paces and my distances and keeping up with the schedule, but it impacted how much I was enjoying training and how I perceived training and how I felt about the race coming closer. For sure. And I think that's a, a kind of a common theme that runs through all levels of recreational sport up to professional sport. When you start applying a lot of pressure because there's a desired outcome, it can take you away from the like the present moment and the training and it takes you out of this mindset of I'm running or I'm doing CrossFit because I really enjoy it to like I'm running and I'm doing CrossFit because I desire a specific outcome and I won't be satisfied if I don't have that. I'm sure there's a few schools of thought on competitiveness and how elites operate and maybe there is some dissatisfaction with not achieving specific outcomes or not winning or not you know running as fast but you know, I know a few elite runners, people who have kind of gone through the life cycle of elite sport and this, you know, runners and CrossFit athletes, it seems like everyone kind of gets to that point. There's dissatisfaction with lack of achievement. Everybody kind of gets to that point in their career. 
And then it seems like there's a, something on the backside of that is like a moment of enlightenment. You kind of realize you come to terms with, you know, why you're doing what you're doing. You get back in touch with why you started doing it. And there's like a revitalization of enjoyment of the process of getting to the point where you can even compete, not even getting better. Because at some point with athletics, like you're kind of staving off decline in performance, knowing that that is coming, you kind of have to keep doing it because you enjoy doing it. And then what happens is kind of neat. A lot of times then there's sort of an uptick in performance because you tap into this energy for the process that comes from a place of enjoyment and not a place of obligation to a specific result. Yeah, I would agree. I think there is a a time and a place for goals. I'm going to say when I had my sub 90 minute half marathon goal for this summer, that was a good goal for me because it forced me to push However, that's different than a three-hour goal in the marathon for me right now because I felt I was fully capable of achieving that sub-90. It just was going to take a little bit more effort, a little bit of refinement, a certain type of training leading up to get me comfortable with that pace. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. Whereas with this marathon, I didn't have the confidence in my ability to achieve that goal. So it's like, you need the confidence. You need it to be achievable to strive towards it. If it seems out of reach and you're not confident that you can do it, then I think it's going to actually negatively impact. Would negatively impact your ability to continue after the race. And I think that's, I think a lot of people set the bar high and they're like, you know what, I'm just going to go for it. And then they do. But especially when you're not running at the professional level with like, which you're not, you make the decision whether you keep running after LA. You make the decision whether you keep running after every single race. And so you don't want the races to become a deterrent because it's this thing that you're training for and then you're failing because you're upholding yourself to a standard or you you have this like hard result in mind. And there's so much that's out of your your control. You just want to go out there and, and run your best on the day. And maybe your best on the day is a 304. Maybe it's a 259.59. But it, at the end of the day, I think you can be satisfied with both results. And if you can figure out how to do that, then you're more likely to continue running versus like, you know, I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to try to run a 259.59. You know, you blow up, end up running a 308. Maybe you run even slower than you ran in Boston. And you're like, what the hell? Well, why am I putting in all this effort when I'm getting worse? And you don't even see that it's it's not that you're getting worse. You just held yourself to too high of a expectation going into the race. You set an inappropriate goal based on how your training has been going. And you're smart enough to sort of see the writing on the wall and make the adjustments and kind of recognize like, hey, I'm running for enjoyment. Like a a three hour marathon is certainly very good. It is not elite. So it's like, what are you doing if you're putting all this pressure on yourself? But a lot of people out there are not so yeah, it's not like sponsorships are hinging on my three hour. No. (laughs) And so it's, it's, but unless there are, you know, some, someone out there does want to sponsor. (sighs) I wouldn't turn it down. I'm open to having a discussion. Yeah. But there are a lot of people who are in your situation running recreationally, not paying their bills, doing it. And they, they don't have that intuition. We're doing CrossFit. CrossFit's really bad for that. Yeah. And CrossFit's worse because you have the external, like you have all the comparison that goes on with it. And you don't even know what race you're running. It gets released the day before you run it. And so how can you be setting these darn goals? Yeah. The only goal you can set in CrossFit, and this is so unfortunate, is like a people-based goal. It's like, it's the same thing, right? It's it's adjusting or failing to adjust expectations or like frame effort going into events and then being upset, letting the outcome 
upset you instead of, you know, doing your best and maybe surprising yourself. Like you don't know you're not going to go out there and run a sub three. Maybe you feel great, but if you don't, uh, or maybe you feel great and you run a three or four and that's perfect. But I think if, you know, all you're looking at is that sub three or, you know, if you're doing CrossFit and all you're looking at is, you know, top 50 in the open or top 10 at semifinals or whatever the or top 500th. I mean, this isn't even elite. Yeah. I feel like, I want to be in the top 1,000. Yeah, it's like, well, how many people are even competing? Oh, I don't know. Well, who's competing? I don't know. Where'd you get that number? I just picked it. (laughs) Well, I I got 2,000th last year. And I'm like, yeah, but that was completely different. You don't need, the workouts are different. People competing are different. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's even elite athletes, like they're doing it for, because they, they love it. There's obviously added pressure because it's for many of them, the way that they make money. And so there's that. I have never been at that level with a, a sport, so I can't speak from a place of having experienced that, but I imagine it comes with a lot of pressure. But I think the elite athletes who do the best are the ones who can operate from a place of like, I freaking love running or I love playing soccer. I love doing this thing that I ha- like, I'm so lucky that I get paid to do because I love it. When a person like an athlete stops enjoying it, you tend to see that. Yeah. I think the motivation to achieve and the goal striving comes into play again, even on a small scale on a day-to-day training scenario. So if you have a pace or a workout that is within your capabilities and you have a coach who's smart enough and knows you well enough and you trust them to set you up for success, but you have to push to get it, you have to believe that you can do it. If you get on a biker and you have to hold some pace you've never held before and it's you don't have the confidence, you've never done anything like it, like and you fail the first event or first interval, what happens? It's like, you're done. But if it's within your capabilities and you just have to push a little bit harder, then that's going to motivate you to do better. And I think if you set a goal, whether you set it or your coach sets it or somebody else sets it, you're just going to feel defeated before you even try. Yeah. And and that affects everything. We've talked about philosophy on goals and goal setting and kind of the problem with goals because they sort of... Timelines of goals. Timelines of goals. But even, I mean, in that episode, we we talked about the the sort of continuum between timeline and results and how those, you can have a result goal, but you have to hold that timeline loosely. Or you can have a a timeline goal as in, I want to run a marathon in three, six months, but you have to hold that result loosely. They're dependent variables. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very important because that's, you can have a goal. You could have a goal of, I want to run a sub three hour marathon. You could have that goal. But if you let go of like, I want to run a sub three hour marathon in LA, then that goal is there. And you're like, I know that I'll get it. I'm not sure when I'll get it but I'll get it. Yeah. And I'm not taking sub three off the table in LA. I'm going to see how I feel. I don't want to blow up, but I don't think it's so fast. It's so different than a 304 or 305 that I'm like, I can start at a three hour and see how I feel like I have. Yeah. I'm not somebody who really blows up, like have a pretty good like understanding of how I'm feeling and I can recover from bouts. Like you have I think a that's the CrossFit road. in me also. Yeah. I don't think so. I, th- I think that that's the endurance athlete in you. I just I, recover quickly. Yeah. So I can like, be on the verge of like, okay, I think I'm going to, I'm going too quickly here. Like I'm not going to maintain this. I can back off and be okay. Well, if you envision like pacing as a, a road and in the middle of the road, there's a, like a center line and that's kind of your optimal pace. Like you can be above that line and be like, oh shoot. And kind of recover and get back to that center line really easily. Whereas some people, 
Like they have they a much more up. narrow road. And I'm one of those people that I would, I can recover quickly, but I can't recover well if I overshoot the pace. Yeah. So three hours isn't off the table, but it's like the pressure is off. Like, mm-hmm. Hey, if I run three, that's great. And I've always said to myself, I have to say, I have to say this to myself every single time I do anything that is competitive or that is timed. Even if I'm doing a workout in my basement, that's a tester. I have to tell myself because I do let the pressure get to me. All you can do in this moment is your best. And you have to be proud of that effort. You can be disappointed that you didn't make it or that you didn't get a time, but you have to like not let that consume you and not let that be who you are. It's like you can be disappointed with it, but you also have to take a step back and say, did I do my best in that moment? Yes. Like, can I do better next time? Yes. But what is it going to take? Right. Like it's, it's looking forward. It's not just being so caught up in the fact that you didn't get what you wanted. You can wish for something, but if you don't achieve it, it's like, what's the pot? What's the takeaway here? Like, and going into it, especially I am going to do my best. And that is enough. Yeah. And that brings so much to me. I'm not saying this, that this is going to apply to everyone that provides so much comfort and calmness. I think too, it's like I read in this book recently, there's another phrase that I'm probably going to use for this race. And it's, you're as ready as you're going to be. Because whether it's a test, whether it's a presentation, whether it's a race, whether it's a competition, there's always going to be this feeling that you're underprepared or you could have done more, or you should have done this, or maybe you were injured and you wish you hadn't gotten injured and you're worried (laughs) that you didn't get that long training run in or, you know, whatever. You were wearing the wrong shoes, something. Those thoughts aren't going to help you have success. No. It's going to impact your confidence. And confidence is key. Yeah. So if you go in and you say, I'm as ready as I'm going to be on this day, there's no coulda, woulda, shoulda. It's I'm going to be and I'm going to do my best. Yeah. It allows you to stay in the present moment. There's no point in looking back and, you know, wishing that your situation was different. There's also no point in looking forward and fretting about how prepared you are. Like you are as prepared as you're going to be on whatever the day is. And you have to trust that. And, you know, I think, it, you know, we at one point we were talking about like how reluctant people are to properly taper because they it's almost like, well, this you know whole year wasn't exactly what I wanted. So I'm going to really buckle down in the last month and get all my training runs in and I don't really need to taper. And, but you have to trust that a good training program does account for like unforeseen circumstances. And it's the accumulation of volume that creates a general preparedness for the effort that you are going to give on race day. It accumulates like that adaptation. Like you don't adapt to a workout for 10 days and you don't adapt to like periodized training for longer than that. Like your performance on race day is not a result of what you do in the last two weeks or the last month or even the last three months. For the elites, it's what you've done in the last year. Like it's the accumulation of all that volume and that's how you get really, really good at something. On a shorter term, if someone's like just kind of beginning to run, yeah, I mean, it is a result of what you've done in the last six months, but you're also probably not gonna go out there and run a sub three hour marathon. There's nothing you can do in the weeks leading up that is going to really make a huge positive difference on your result. At least not a, a physical thing you can do. You can do a lot of mental things that will have a positive result. And I think one of the most powerful things that you can do is accepting that you're as prepared as you're going to be like committing to 
listening to your coach and taking care of your, your nutrition. Just because you're, you're tapering and your running volume is low, don't ask your nutrition coach if you need to cut your calories. You don't. Yeah. Like take full advantage of your ability to recover and give your system a break from all the training that you've been doing so that you can take advantage of that adaptation and express your full potential on the day where it matters the most. Yeah. A taper isn't just sitting around and waiting. It's letting the training that you did get soaked into your body so you can use it on race day. Oh, That's that how it? I think about it. Yeah. Tapering is hard. You're like squeezing a sponge underwater and the taper is when you let the sponge go and it just soaks up all yeah, the water. But I if you like never that. let the sponge go, it never soaks up the water. There's your visual for a taper. I think there's a time and a place after an event to look back on what you could have done differently. That's the time to do it. Yeah. So that you can make a better plan for next time or adjust as needed. But if you are, let's say, in an extreme circumstance, you sign up for a marathon and you don't train. Oh my God. And then you're standing in the start line. And this has happened before, not to me, but to a friend. You're going to do better if you're like, well, I guess I'll just do the best I can. Then if you're standing in the start line being like, oh my God, I didn't train. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. I'm not wearing the right shoes. All that. Like that's going to impact your performance. If you're yeah. in there and you're like, oh gosh, all right, well, buckle up. I'm going to see what I can do here. Yeah, it's like, it's accept- you're actually probably going to do a lot better. That's acceptance. It's like, I accept where I am right now in my training or lack thereof, <laughs> my abilities. I accept that the result is going to be what it can be. And I accept that I'm going to give it my best effort no matter what. Yeah. Today I was doing a run. That's why my, my voice is kind of off. 21.1 kilometers. So that's a half marathon at race pace. It has been snowing in Calgary. A lot. A lot. And they do pave the pathway I run on the, near the river. They clear it. They clear it. Yeah. But it's it's like hard pack. Yeah, because it's like it's at, at the end of winter. And so there's like some ice and there's the snow you would run on after a car drives over fresh snow. So it's like packed, but, it's but there's like loose. And like loose on yeah. top. Yeah. So it's kind of like running in like hard sand almost. Like there's a, a layer on top that like slips out. And so I knew that this was going to be the case. And I said to Meredith, okay, I'm not looking forward to this run. Like I'm annoyed that I have to run race pace on the, in these conditions. Yeah. It's not going to be good for my confidence. Like, I don't think I can do it. And I don't really want to even try to do it because I know I'll just disappoint myself and get yeah. frustrated. So I'm like, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to run at like a 430, 440 and just like get the stimulus, like have a good run. And also we had been traveling and I basically been eating like nothing slash just bagels. I ate obscene amount of bagels. <laughs> There's a good bagel place though. It was like, there was a reason for that. <laughs> and classic me, I go out and I'm like, I'm going to give it a go uh, yeah. at race pace. This is a surprise to know. And I'm feeling pretty good. First 5k, but I'm also running like with the wind and the first part's like with the river. So it's kind of a little bit downhill. Is it like, do you, is it one of those you're running with the wind, but you don't realize you're running with the wind until you turn around? Kind of. I was, I knew that I was running with the wind, but I knew based on my weather app that it was only seven kilometers, which is not very much wind. Oh yeah. Okay. So then I got to, I was going to run six and a half K one way, six and a half the other, and then do the other part of the like last 8K on the other side. Once I got to five and a half, the snow got really loose and I couldn't even uh, run. And I started getting really frustrated. Then I turned around and was into the wind and slightly uphill. Like that thing that like all that concern and worry, like I need to do this. I'm not prepared. I can't even run at race pace. I'm frustrated. The snow, all of those like really negative thoughts started creeping in. I almost started crying. Like Aww. I had that that kind of like lump in your throat yeah, type like of thing. Yeah, like panicky. Aww. 
And it took a second and I didn't stop. And I said to myself in the spirit of all of this, and this is proof that as much as I've practiced this my entire life as an athlete and been pretty good at it, I think from a psychological standpoint, it does take a lot of awareness and a lot of effort to do it. Even when you're, you have a lot of experience with it. So I said to myself, I'm going to do as best as I can. I'm going to slow it down so that I still feel like this is a good effort, but I'm not going to hold myself to a specific pace. And I, I'm going to do 21K. I'm not going to get upset. It is what it is. I'm not going to be like mad at my coach for giving this to me when he knows it's been snowing. I'm going to just do it. And I ended up having a pretty good run. I ended up hitting my race pace, like a little on the slower end. And then in hindsight, thinking if I can do that on snow, then it's going to feel a hell of a lot easier when I'm in LA, provided it doesn't snow. I mean, it has been snowing. I know, (laughs) on pavement. Yeah. It's just, it's so hard not to get caught up in those moments, those doubts, the pressure, even when you know better, the emotions come up because you do care. And I think it's good to care. It's good to be nervous. It's good to kind of self-assess. But when it gets so bad, I mean, it could have been so bad that I started, I was going to stop after 13K when I passed the truck and call you and be like, what the hell? I wanted to call you because I was so like kind of angry that I was even out here with this goal of running race pace on snow. Anyway, that happened today. And I, I did a video after to put it on my Instagram, but I kept like stumbling over my words. So I said, you know what? Screw it. I'll talk about it on the podcast. This is podcast stuff. Yeah. Well, I'm proud of you. Thanks. It's hard. It's a hard, I've definitely been there as an athlete and not always made it out of those moments. So it's pretty impressive. It's important to remember, and I've experienced this leading up to regionals and the games and CrossFit, and you have certainly experienced this, but I'll say this. It's very rare for a lead up to event, a training program to go perfectly. Yeah, it just doesn't. It just doesn't. And you just, that's what makes a good athlete. The person who can adapt and adjust and stay mature, just like we talked about in a previous podcast. I mean, like, do you want to know how I got 30th of the games? (laughs) Like when I broke my thumb, in the month before and when I sliced my ankle I did not you sliced your ankle the week of when I when I when I showed up to the games with stitches <laughs> in my ankle you had to remove so I could do the swim event I did not let that no deter me that is how I got almost last I hurt my <laughs> I hurt my wrist really badly doing an overhead squat yeah I jammed it jammed my hand back and I remember being really upset cuz I now I had this injury to deal with I had yeah. to tape my wrist and it was really hurting And Mike, our coach, was like, hey, everyone out there on that floor is dealing with some sort of thing. You're not going to be the only one out there that has an injury. Then that's the fact of the matter. It's the person who just deals with it and makes it through. Of course, you don't want to make anything severely worse. You don't want to go hurt yourself, but I do think it's important. Yeah. Especially with CrossFit. Yeah. Everybody at the games is a little bit banged up. Like they're really, really fit, but they're also like probably a tiny bit injured or at least teetering on it. And so it's like important to not let that. There's a reason there's the rule that you cannot wear two pairs of knee sleeves anymore. (laughs) Yes. They don't want to see anyone's kneecap explode like a Pez dispenser. A lot of people would wear two knee sleeves. I know. In competition. Your knees are that bad, huh? (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's a thing. So you can either let that get to you and let it get you down and affect your effort. Or you can say like, you know, I'm going to go out there and do what I can. That rope climb event that I had though, and I, my shoe was just like, they were like, you have to get off. Your 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 shoe is red now from when you had taken the stitches out, and then I just ripped the whole thing. Yeah, back open. that was gross. I'm glad yeah. I didn't get like MRSA or something from the rope. But 
it's good to talk about this type of attitude. I, you see a lot of sort of toxic positivity in the goal striving and athletic space. And a lot of people talking about, you know, winning and achieving certain results. And it's not often talked about how you deal with frustrations and deal with training that isn't what you want it to be. And, you know, adjusting your expectations down so that you, you set yourself up for success. Yeah. I think it's pretty cool. And um, the last thing I'll say is if you're putting pressure on yourself because somebody else is putting pressure on you and they're attaching your value to your results, you need to get that person out of your life. The only people you want, coaches, supporters, training partners, are the ones that want you to be a happy person. That's what matters. Yeah. A result does not define you. No. How fast you run a marathon, it does not define who you are. It is not your value. I'll also say that a lot of people think that coaches care about that stuff more than they do. Coaches, like, unless it has been outright said, like, I have the expectation that you come top 10 and whatever or top 1,000, I don't know. Unless that has been said, like, you can probably safely assume that that coach just wants you to do your best and they want you to be happy while you do it. By not coming top 1,000, you're not disappointing anybody. You're no. not. Like, if you go out there and do your best and your best is... 1200th place or 12,000th place, or you have to scale a workout and you really wanted to RX everything this year in the open. Like no one is disappointed in you who's helping you. They just, they want you to do your best and improve and be happy while you do it. The number on the leaderboard or your chip timer, like that does not matter. It doesn't. And even doing an event or running a race is the cherry on top of the cake. <laughs> I guess with that said, if you've made it this far, send us a cake emoji. I no, Meredith, enough. Do you know how annoying it is to get a million emojis sent to you from okay, how all of this? our listeners? Don't send them. Comment them on one of our posts. How about that? All right. That's better. Okay. I'm, I'm also wondering if you're in the Calgary area, if you wanted to bake us a cake instead, oh, yeah. I would be open to that. We will accept literal cakes. Yeah. Yeah, but not sheet cakes. Like, Okay. I have a story about the, the black heart. From a, that was, yeah, is the Valentine's ago. Day yeah. episodes. Quickly, I had been messaging with a client of ours who's working with another coach, and she was telling me how great her experience has been going. I messaged back a couple of times, and it ended on like a double tap, like heart. Then I get another message from her, and it's a black heart. And I was like, oh no, what does this mean? Is she having a bad time? Is she done with tactic? Am I going to be getting an email? What's the black heart? And then the mean? next day I was like, oh, freaking <laughs> Meredith. Damn it. I'm sorry. And that is a true story. I was like, oh gosh, what happened? Did your cat die? And then I went back and had to double tap like the black heart. Yeah. I don't know. I like the emojis, so I'm going to sneak them in still. Anyways, thanks for listening. You can keep up with Alex's race progress on social media. I'm sure we'll be documenting it. And you can probably follow her bib number, which she'll post on the LA Marathon tracking website or app if you have the app. And if you're in LA and want to come cheer her on, I'm right now, I think, solo out there. So you can feel free to come find me. Yeah. And if anybody in LA wants to give me a ride to the start of the race, I'm also open to that as well. Yeah. We do need to arrange, <laughs> to arrange transportation. So, all right. Well, thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next one. 